And we talk about the Eastern philosophy thing. I've always attracted more to a guy like Wayne Dyer that has more of an idea of forget all of the striving thing. The striving thing is not making you happy or content or joyful. And that's not where the key to fulfillment is. Our culture wants us, our Western culture wants us to believe that, but that's not the reality. Like if you're not happy with yourself, you're never going to be content in any of your relationships. It's like wherever you go, there you are. What's the common denominator? It's you. Yeah. It's not the clothes you wear. It's not the car you drive. It's you. Yeah, it's not your bank account. It's not your helicopter. Recording from my studio here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a born and raised New Yorker, now living in the South. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial independence wisdom. My name is Al. I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. I've worked with thousands of clients in all areas of the country and from all walks of life. Through the relationships I had with these people, I've discovered the mindsets and behaviors that are most effective in a person's financial life, plus the pitfalls and all the BS to watch out for. The financial independence community today has completely lost its way. And I felt it was time to call out the FI gurus, podcasters, and self-proclaimed pundits. This podcast is not about the numbers. That's what all the other financial podcasts talk about. We will focus on the emotional and psychological components that drive our behavior. I am not looking for new clients. And I'm not interested in running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is from an insider's perspective and pull back the curtain on the financial industry. Now, let's get into Confessions of a Financial Advisor. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, episode number three. We are talking about Tony Robbins today. Anthony Robbins, motivational speaker. I'm here with my partner in crime, (laughs) Diane. You know, I've been saying ghostwriter, and it just sounds like such a weird term. I like partner in crime a lot. That seems very accurate. Yeah. Let's go with that from now on, because ghostwriter just seems like supernatural or something. (laughs) It's like something weird. Um, So yeah, Tony Robbins. And man, we've talked a a lot lot about Tony Robbins. There's a lot in this one post. Yeah. I think the one, I mean, to set the to set the groundwork for this or just to lay the foundation of why I started thinking about Tony Robbins, 23, 22, 23 years old, just a kid out of college, um, had no money. My parents now sold the house in Long Island. They decided to move down to Florida to retire, which basically was get out, kid. You're no on your own. No safety net. Yeah. It's like, I'm not... I can't live in a 55 and older community down in Florida. So it's like, figure it out. Yep. Okay, here we go. All right. So this is life now. Um, Welcome to adulthood. Welcome to adulthood. Here's your car bill. Here's your insurance. (laughs) Go find a place to live. All the joys of adulting. Yeah. Yeah. Ramen noodles. That was my routine Uh in college, you know. Um, So, yeah. So I, I remember the triggering events was I was going to work. I worked at a place called Developmental Disabilities Institute. It was a group home for autistic adults. Hmm. And I'd saved, and this is while I was living at home. This is right before my parents moved to Florida. 
And I was saving money, saving money. I was making $18,000 a year. And I was yeah. working 40 hours a week. And it was a dangerous job. Uh, they were aggressive autistic adults. You and I actually have that in common. I've worked in group homes too. So, wow. Did yeah. not know that. We never yeah. talked about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a pretty intense job. Um, so I was saving money that whole time. And I remember it was maybe a few months before they moved, my transmission went on my car. 3500 bucks. That's always fun. I had, I think I had like a little over four grand in savings at that point. Living at home and saving every penny, you know, pretty right. as much as I could. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like I'm, right. like one, I'm one emergency away from broke. You know, it just happens. From what devastation. Happened? From devastation, yeah. yeah. And so what's going to happen if I go live on my own, you know, without the comforts of my parents' house? Yeah, that was the reality. And that was 23. I, like, I'd gone to college. It's not super young. People do this right. stuff at 17, 18. People are having kids and getting married at 23, 25. Yeah, but I still Or at least they like used to. They used to. A lot more often back in the day. Yeah. So yeah, money hungry, not even money hungry, just tr- survival, just literally like self-reliance. Self-reliance was like my, that was the biggest goal back then was just to right. try to take care of myself. I can take care of myself. Yeah. I don't have a dog. I don't have a kid. I don't have anything else to take care of. I just want to take care of myself. Yeah. Like the first kind of step in the progression towards, you know, self-reliance. So yeah, that led me to working for, you know, a big insurance company on a hundred percent commission how do you get motivation when you're 23, 24 years old and you have no gray hair? And you find yourself in a sales profession, which you and I both have a lot of experience within different sales professions. But there's kind of a common mentality that is very prevalent and it's more, more, more hyper consumerism and. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's how you get indoctrinated when you first encounter those industries and those careers. Yeah, yeah. In my case, it was selling life insurance for a big insurance company. Um, and it was, I mean, it, it was picked right out of the movies. I mean, it, it was like, you know, one part like Wolf of Wall Street, one part yeah. Boiler Room. Yeah. Like everybody had like the nice cars and the nice watches and were super confident. And that was the sales management team. Mm-hmm. And then there was all kids like me at 23. I didn't even know how to wear a suit at that point. You know, I think I still had a clip-on tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have to tie a tie. Didn't know you had to wear an undershirt under your dress shirt. So I'd be like sweating <laughs> through like a right... Just no clue of anything. You know, I yeah. had all these guys telling me what to do, how I needed to dress, you know. And yeah, so at, at that point, you know, you're... The only thing you have to... 90% of your time is spent trying to make appointments to sell life insurance. Finding right. customers. You have no client base to work off of. All you're doing mm-hmm. is like, you're out there just trying to figure it out. And so most of that revolves around cold calling. Yeah. Getting on the phone, smiling and dialing. And just... Oh, that phrase, I cannot stand. Oh. They literally, some of the guys would put a mirror on their desk. Yes. So that they can see themselves smiling. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so much crazy stuff with cold calling. I've seen one guy put a plate of cookies on his on his desk and every time he made a call he take one nibble of the cookie so it was like a reward for making a call so you're like reinforcing wow yeah almost like you know if the rat runs around the cage and touches this button he gets a yeah treat. like yeah. conditioning yeah like pavlov conditioning like that old school you know skinner yep. thing um yeah so i mean terrified of cold calling hated it nobody liked it 
No. Some people like were more aggressive and better at it than I was. Um, but for me, like rejection was the worst. Like rejection, like even from a stranger, it didn't matter. Like I'm on the phone, I'm putting myself out there. And yeah, it's still painful. Like, like nobody likes to be hung up on. No. And I've never had that experience before. I mean, I've had it like the closest I could relate it to is, you know, interactions with the opposite sex, like, you know, yeah. being in college and, and I was never the guy to approach. Like I was always mm. waited people for girls to approach me. So I never had that alpha kind of personality of like, that's it. I'm walking up to the girl that I think is most attractive and I'm going to talk to her and ask her out. I'm like, yeah, no, I was not that dude. Right. So now I'm learning on the fly how to talk to strangers at 23 and convince them to sit down with me at their home mm-hmm. so I can do a presentation on how they need life insurance. Whew. Yeah. So that's where power talk comes in. Yeah. Tony Robbins, come to the rescue. So power talk and the, his initial book was called Awaken the Giant Within. I think mm-hmm. that was his first book. I think I still have it to this day. Um, and at the time it was appealing. Like it was like this big confident dude, you know, he's six foot five and a giant. Well, to someone just starting out who is insecure and doesn't have even life experience significantly yet. I mean, that, that charismatic persona is appealing. Well, he must have all the, look at how well he's doing. I need to do whatever he's telling me to do. Yeah, he's put together, like he's dressed well, he speaks uh, very confidently. Um, Everything he talks about is just this kind of, yeah, he exudes this confidence that like you just, especially when you're that young and impressionable. Um, But it was all like kind of this self-help, like adrenaline kind of thing where like just stand up and put your shoulders back and, you know, the what's wrong with you is your posture and that you're not, you know, taking control of the situation and, you know, you need to be motivated and you need to really like get yourself amped up. And, and that fed right into like the sales team of the team that I was oh, totally you know, yeah. you like a Monday morning sales meeting and they're like literally slapping the walls, eating you all the bullshit. Yep. Oh, it was, it was, it was insane. So four years I spent cold calling. I mean, this, the weirdest thing is like, I learned so much in all of that misery of cold, cold calling. I really did. I mean, well, you extracted the wisdom from the experience, even though you wouldn't want to have the experience again. You Like I would not go back to my ex-husband ever, but you know, I took the wisdom from that experience <laughs> and take that going forward and wish him well. Yeah. 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 And for sales, like, you know, it just helped with learning how to speak to people and speak to strangers and articulate and, um, and work under pressure too. I mean, there's so much, you know, you, not that I ever got used to it. I never got used to the fear of cold calling. Mm. I don't think I ever would. I mean, spending four years doing that, it definitely got easier and I just kind of was more robotic about it. Right. But to kind of, but I never liked that feeling of being robotic and, I felt like I had to turn off my emotions to even get through it. So Well, and that when you're cutting off your emotions, I think people can tell yeah. and it feels fake and it feels plastic. And it feels to me when I get cold called, cause I do often. Yeah. I can tell, I can tell when they're reading from a script Yeah, and I'm like, don't read have a conversation with me. If you really want to have a conversation, I'll be able to tell. But when you're reading from a script, I'm like, done. I'm a no immediately. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, at this point, I honestly, as soon as I hear the first word out of, the, out of their mouth, I know immediately and I yeah. just turn it off. Yeah. I didn't even know people still cold called. I thought that was, what happened to all those do not call lists? Yeah, that I'm on. That, that used to be totally too. ineffective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can't get around that, right? Mm. So the one, the one thing I had a problem with looking back, so this is all in, in retrospect, like in, in hindsight, I'm looking at myself back then and how I reacted to that kind of stimulus from like a guy like Tony Robbins. And mm. I always thought of, he always projected this idea of motivation. You got to be motivated, get yourself going, revved up, let's go, get things done, massive action. And I always, on one hand, I think there's people that need a kick in the ass as far as motivation, like a, a mm. coach that's mm-hmm. kind of yelling. You know, I always think of like a coach yelling. Like I picture team. the military training, like very in your face, like slamming garbage but cans. Hyper to wake aggressive. You up. Like there's an aggression component. And if I don't don't yell at me, like if you yell at me, I'm not gonna do whatever you're asking me to do. Well, exactly. And that's kind of was my temperament too. I don't yeah, I, I I turn off when I mean I'm just growing up that way. Anytime like my dad yelled at me, I just I just turned off. Like I didn't shut down. Shut down. Yeah. I didn't combat it. It didn't motivate me. And anytime on the other side of that, somebody encouraged me, you know, like, cause I've had a couple of great coaches and actually one of the sales managers at that insurance company, that initial insurance company was great mm-hmm. and very encouraging. And like, I just thrived in that kind of environment. More of a supportive atmosphere and way of being. Yeah. And therapeutic. So, you know, so like when I'm coming to the sales manager, I'm like, I'm freaking terrified to call tonight. Like I, I really feel like uncomfortable. I'm just not feeling it tonight. Yeah. Like, no, I understand what you're saying. You know, that's, I get it. That's the way this is. It's a tough thing to do. Right. But, but the other sales manager in the group would be like, what are you talking about? Get on the phone, you know, just come on 50 calls. Let's go. You just got to make that first call. Let's go move it. You know? Yeah. So I, I always thought of Tony Robbins as the, the rough salesperson, sales the manager. The the, yeah, aggressive to some extent. Aggressive. And then the sales manager that was mine, that was encouraging, that was like the Brene Brown. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I know that you mentioned her earlier as mm-hmm. being, I, I, there's no way of quantifying their celebrity, you know, as far as like if one's more popular or more celebrated than another. I Currently, I would assume Brene Brown, but I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. They're um, totally different in their, even the way they speak and communicate and they are delivering very opposite messages. Um, Yeah, and Brene, I think what I most appreciate about her is she's taking these kind of highly intellectual, lofty concepts and ideas and she's excellent at making them, bringing them into real life and making them relatable. And you listen to some of what she shares and it's like, oh God, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's experienced that or felt that or fucked that up. And yeah, it's, she brings it down to human level and an everyday life experience level where Tony Robbins is like all the glitz and the glitter and, you know, rock star status almost. It just feels so distant to me. Yeah. It's, it seems very adrenaline fueled and very sugar high kind of just just not um, sustainable or not, not 
effective long-term for me, at least. I mean, I'm sure it's effective for many people out there. I mean, obviously he's been around for a long time um, and he's definitely very popular. Again, like I don't know the scale of popularity compared to a Brene Brown, but Mm. I definitely gravitate more toward that nurturing. I get the idea that if I approached a lady like Brene Brown and said, Hey, I'm really struggling with this cold calling thing. It's freaking hard as hell. I'm terrified of doing it. I really just don't want to do it tonight. I don't think she'd start yelling at me like, get on the phone. Let's go. Put your (laughs) shoulders back. What's wrong with you? Motivation. Let's go. Just slam your hands up against the wall. Jump on a trampoline. Let's go. You got to get your system going, right? Motion creates emotion, right? Yeah. (laughs) You can have all the catchphrases in the world, but to me, if you don't have substance to back it up, I mean, it just feels so artificial to me. Mm -hmm. The contemplative more internally reflective approach of somebody like Brene Brown is very different, but in my experience, a lot more powerful. Um, and you talked about, can you share, cause it's in the post, but your experience, you got cold called by someone from the Tony <laughs> Robbins organization. Cause I love that story. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. So I, it was after reading his, I read his book called money. He put in mm-hmm. a book called money. And he had some kind of hiatus. Like he, I didn't hear his name for a long time. And then he came out of the woodwork again. It was like he had his time. I don't know if he took off for a long time or I just didn't hear about him. He wasn't in the public mm-hmm. eye. But I remember this book coming out, Money. And he was going, you know, he had an interview and he was talking about a lot of things we talk about on this podcast about everybody's preaching, don't pay advisors fees. Mm-hmm. All the fees that you're paying to these advisors could accumulate to hundreds of thousands of dollars over like the course of your lifetime. Why would you do that? And so I get this cold call. I, I mean, I don't know the time frame, but it was after I read his book and it's from one of the Tony Robbins companies uh-huh. and they have this weekend seminar. I don't know if it was date with destiny or it was one of their like immersion weekends. Okay. So like you fly to this hotel. I think it was like a three night thing, a two or three night thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she was literally like five minutes into like the sales pitch mm-hmm. and she's like, so sir, she does this, does the assume the sale yeah. thing and says, so how would you like to pay for that with visa or debit card? And I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, Can you just tell me how much does this seminar cost? She's like, Oh, that's well, it'd be $10,000. Oh, I'm like, Oh, $10,000. I've never spoken to you before in my life. We've now talked for five minutes right? and you'd be willing to charge my credit card. 10,000 10 grand. I was like, wow. And then, you know, of course, you know, doing the math in my head, I do, you know, oh, well, let's see, like taking Tony Robbins, you know, his advice about not paying an advisor fees. If I didn't pay for his advisor fees here, Mm -hmm. I took that 10 grand and I put it into an account and I projected out 40 years at a 10% return. It was like $450,000. Yeah. So I'm like, again, and we wrote about it in the post saying like, does anybody see the irony here? Does, Does nobody see behind the curtain? Like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. A, little, a little bit of hypocrisy going on here. And so I love a phrase that you could, two different aspects that you said are just huge warning signs to you. When you see someone with what appears to be like delusions of grandeur, like, look at, how, look at me, look at how great I am. Look at everything I'm doing. So when you see delusions of grandeur with false humility, like run in the other direction. It's like their magic potion, right? It's the magic yeah. combination because you have like two can 
two opposites, right? You have the delusion, I'm this great thing, and yeah, but I'm a very humble guy, you know. I, right. You know, my foundation fed you know a billion people, and you know, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, right. I'm so humble. Um, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. tell you about all my great accomplishments, and yeah. yeah. It wasn't good enough to just feed all those people. You need to now tell everybody. Now we need to tell everybody that you've done it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the no no advisory fee, just yeah. Once once I started reading that, it just brought me back to being 23. And then I just started piecing it all together. I'm like, oh, this is what he's projecting. It's just basically, yeah, this just adrenaline rush, motivational speaking. Um just get you going. Try to get like, you know, it's all about this like positive self-talk and explosive power talk. And I'm like, whoa, that stuff is just not, I could see where he's coming from. Like I could see it's there. It's there to draw you in. It's there for Mm -hmm. people that are in desperate situations that for whatever reason, they're clinging onto something. They Mm -hmm. need some sort of motivation or they think they do. Right. And he's like, well, I got the magic elixir. I've got all the answers. Yep. Here you go. I'm just what you have been waiting for, you know? And looking back, all of that inspirational power talk stuff, like it just brought up all these like mixed feelings of shame, of inadequacy. Insecurity. Yeah. Insecurity, like helplessness, this just helpless feeling. Like I'm a grown man. I can't provide for myself. Like I got to like, Come on, go, move, move. You're not doing what I'm doing. You don't want it bad enough. Oh, we've talked about that. Like, and so there's an element of like you're blaming people. Like, well, if this doesn't, if my program doesn't work for you, well, you just didn't want it badly enough. Like, oh. What oh, what did you just do? Told them it's <laughs> their fault. <laughs> right. You just didn't want it bad enough. You didn't follow the steps. I no way I, I did follow the steps. No, well, you just didn't want it bad enough. It's all yeah. about motivation and you're not motivated enough. You're the problem. Mm. that's not harmful. No, no. Psychologically. Yeah. It's this idea of desire. So what I think a a person like Tony Robbins promotes is that you have to desire, you're always desiring new things. And he had this, you know, statement of like, you know, you have to dream to achieve. Oh, tell this, tell the story that you shared with me last time we talked about that, about him and his wife, because that's a beautiful illustration of that. Yeah. And, and this is him with, I, in my opinion, the false humility. He's talking to, I think it's John Gray. John mm-hmm. Gray, the guy from Men Are From the Mars, author. Women yep. Are From Venus, the author. And uh, it's, it's a cool conversation. And uh, he's talking about how he's on this vacation in France. Uh-huh. And he's with his wife and they're in their limousine and they're getting driven around. And they go to this castle in the, I think it's the, the south of France or something. Mm-hmm. And the wife's looking at the window and looking at this castle and like, oh my God, what would it be like just to live in a place like that? And as soon as she says that, he basically blows up on her and says, live in there, like that big place, it's cold, it's ridiculous. We have 14 houses, half of them we haven't even been to before. And she's like, she finally like just blows up back at him and says, what do you mean? I just want to dream. And he's like, dream? He's like, you dream to achieve. I'm like oh god yeah and and at, to and to be fair with tony robbins and that and that he's calling himself out by telling the story mm-hmm. it's not like but in in some ways i do feel like it's a little bit of false humility but that's like literally like he's basically telling you this is my mentality right and then he's trying to pull it back cuz he knows that it doesn't 
and I, I guess I just kind of felt like a little bit like his wife in that situation. <laughs> Like, can I just imagine what it might be like? Like, can I just dream of the possibility? Yeah. Like, every, is, is who's that like, hurting? No one. Yeah. Is all of life just this relentless freight train of like moving forward and achieving? And, and acquisition. And, bigger goals. Bigger, yes. bigger, bigger. And it's. More, more, more. But then when is it enough? It's never enough. But a, but a guy like him doesn't want you to believe that. It's like, he wants you to believe that there is you know, pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, that there is a destination here. But I think that's mm. the thing that. That's part that of the illusion. And that's part of the illusion that he's selling very successfully. Very successfully. And like the whole idea of everything's about striving. Right. So he, he had another, he had another guest on one of his power talk specials. This is back in the day. And his name was Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer passed yeah. away, but Wayne yeah. Dyer is an author, uh, wrote a lot of great books. Actually, he got me onto Wayne Dyer. So. Kudos okay. to Tony Robbins for getting me into Wayne Dyer. But Wayne Dyer was like on the opposite side of the spectrum. Totally. Yeah. So like their conversations were always, I love the conversations he has with people that are. Polar opposite. Yeah. Just they, right. They just have a whole different way about mm -hmm. life. And so Wayne Dyer starts talking about an idea of striving on one hand or arriving. And he talks about striving oh, and arriving. I love that. Yeah. So it's like you could live your life like relentlessly just striving for new and better and bigger and different things. Or you could live your life in a state of like arriving, like you're okay where you're at. And it's okay to be, to feel good about yourself, to feel happy, to feel joy, to feel good yeah. emotions and not have to earn them. Like everything's not about just this relentless pursuit. Right. There's an element of it radical acceptance and surrendering to that way of being and that way of living life that is not popularized in our Western culture. Very true. Yeah. Um, it's not, oh my, it's not popularized at all. I mean, it's yeah. couldn't be any more opposite. It's, you know, there's a whole advertising industry that exists to tell us that we're not good enough as we are. So we need to buy their product or buy their car. Mm hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I, I think it's like, it's scratching at that insecurity we all have about not mm -hmm. being good enough. Yeah. You know? Unworthiness. Oh, you're not good enough. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're not good enough. That's why well, you got to do what I tell you to do. If right. you do this, then you'll be good enough. Like, wow. Like, and so looking back on it, 20 something year old me, it was tough. It was tough listening to a dude like that. And like, mm. although like there, he had, he introduced me to other good authors and other good minds and he had some good stuff to talk about himself. I think as a whole, mm -hmm. nobody really talks about his negative effects on what he's, it's always about all the positive, like I'm positive and this is- Look how know. many books I've sold and yeah, look at how many followers I have. And, right. and I've never gotten the impression that you didn't feel that you benefited in any way from having read his books or followed any of his talks or anything. But one of the things you and I talked about is like the Hippocratic Oath. Like it starts with do no harm. And so we, you and I have had a lot of interesting conversation of, well, do you think he ever questions his impact on people? In a negative way. Right. Yeah. Do no harm. And how do you quantify that? So I always, I always think for whatever reason, like I try to think a little bit in numbers and he's got these seminars all the time and, let's just say he has a thousand people at a seminar. Mm -hmm. And I think, all right, 
you know, maybe 10 people out of that thousand become wildly successful. Yeah. And that's great. You know, good. Right. That's so wonderful. Wonderful. But th- nothing's ever talked about. What about the ho- other 990 people? Mm. Let's not even mm-hmm. say neutral. Maybe like they got, got a little bit out of it, but they didn't really go anywhere and it didn't negatively affect them. Yeah. But then what about the people that like sat through all that and just mm-hmm. got all hyped up and believed in this like cult of freaking motivation and then got home, tried to in, in, pursue this and realized- Got home this, with all their internal baggage that they're true. still carrying. Yes. And limiting beliefs and yes, insecurities. So now you have this checklist of things to do, but you don't have- That's external, but Tony Robbins doesn't address internal at all. It's all external. Do this, yeah. do, 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 do. Yeah. Without self-reflection. Well, I think he just doesn't focus enough on that. I think it's more mm-hmm. of a, where's the focus going on? If the focus on, is on the external, right. where we, as we know, the internal is way more important for sustained success. Mm-hmm. That's where everything kind of goes wrong. You know, these people start, they stop two weeks later, they feel disappointed. Um, and then they're back on the hamster wheel. Right. For the next book, the next seminar, the next program. And they're on, it's this vicious cycle of, well, this didn't work. So it must not have been, or I didn't do it right. So this wasn't the right fit for me. But then it's the never ending search for the, the next product or pathway. It's a fix. It's like, it's like a drug. I mean, you're getting like a high and maybe over that weekend, you just feel so good. You about feel yourself. like you can do anything and you're invincible and I'm going to go and make all this money and have all this success. Yeah. And I think to myself, let me take those same people that feel dejected mm-hmm. and let me send them to like a Brene Brown Ted talk. Right. You know? And I mean, maybe they're not going to feel all motivated and all high, but I think it'll get them contemplating what they well, need to put their attention on. And you and I have talked a lot about the stories we tell ourselves and Brene talks a lot about that too. Like what stories are we creating? What stories are we listening to internally? What story am I making up about this? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's never overinflating. It's never over, it's not oversimplifying anything. It's not, again, the delusions of grandeur and like mm. this whole idea of like, you know, I'm going to make millions and I'm going to show you how to make millions too, because you could replicate this a million times over. And this is the only pathway to success. And this is, yeah, yeah. how to live a, successful life. But what is success? Like how does each of us define success? Yeah. And just the patterns that it start. Like, so then I always think like, so then Tony Robbins, those 10 people that did really well, mm-hmm. then they went on to like probably teach or do their own seminars or do whatever they're doing. They're selling something, I'm sure. Creating their own just, products. And it just and... kind of builds out and out and out. And I just think of, again, what's the, the harmful effects on the majority. Mm-hmm. And I'm again, I'm not, it's hard to quantify any of this, but from my experience, you see that it is the majority that's not, you know, follow, you know, it, going not, to reach the level of success that a, a, a figure like Tony Robbins has reached. I mean, I personally, why do you need 14 houses is where I go with it, but you know, that's houses. not my definition. That's a lot of houses. Um, Half of what you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point? I don't know. Um, but that's just my own perspective on it. But, you know, it's just in a way, I think, buying into the myth that someone else is going to have the magic 
pill, the quick fix. It's going to just take all your problems and solve them. All you got to do is check these boxes. I think that's dangerous. And people that are, you know, struggling financially, I mean, they're desperate. They're grasping at anything that seems remotely appealing. Yeah, it's served up for them. Like it's designed Mm -hmm. for those people. Because I mean, being who I am today, so he swallowed up another one of my favorite authors. So recently, Tim Ferriss, Uh who wrote The 4-Hour Workweek, He's been interviewing Tony Robbins and then he went to one of Tony Robbins. Now he's a disciple of Tony Robbins. I was like, oh no, Mm. like he's taking over like the new crop. Like Mm -hmm. Tim Ferriss to me was like somebody that opened my eyes to like, as you term, well, other people have termed the gig economy Yeah, of like working remote, being able to like. Insane amounts of flexibility. Insane amounts of flexibility, working, you know, from any location, you know, location independent. So, oh, I love that location independent. Yeah. Yeah. So the four hour work week opened my eyes to that from Tim Ferriss. And then I saw that Tim Ferriss got on like the, you know, Tony Robbins got his hooks into him. And like, now he's all about this motivation thing. I'm like, oh no. And it always kind of like, it's very like a, it's very enticing. I guess it's very alluring, you know, the way a guy like that is, you know, because you, you tend to believe people that speak confidently about something. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of what it comes down to. And if you're loud and in your face and you're a big presence, right? You know, you're a good salesman. You can sell a lot of things. I mean, you can doesn't make them right, doesn't make them and it doesn't make it meaningful. Yeah. And who is it hurting? You know, that's mm-hmm. the that's the main question. Like you you talk a lot about, you brought this to my attention. It's not just about showing what you need to do and the truth of things, it's it's illuminating what's not true. Yes. Like what's not true about what he's doing? Right. Does anybody ever question that? Isn't that the, right. the idea of a cult? Like a cult is just blindly following blindly. something. Yes. You're never questioning anything. Perpetuating what, the cult values and beliefs, whether they are true or not. Yeah. Right. And I'm definitely not trying to compare Tony. Well, <laughs> I, I, I guess I kind of am. He's kind of in a way a cult. <laughs> the cult well, there are some Robbins. people that follow him that are almost fanatics of like the Tony Robbins culture. So like, yeah. I don't know. To me, that feels a little crazy and creepy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that documentary out too called uh, I'm Not Your Guru. It's a documentary. I think it's on Netflix. Okay. Very interesting. Huh. One scene. It's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. There's a lady in the audience and she's having trouble like in a relationship she's having. Mm-hmm. And he literally, and this is at one of these seminars with thousands of people. He gets her she calls the boyfriend on the phone and breaks up with him. What? Like in the seminar. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's in the actual um, documentary. And then, you know, they, I think they had a thing at the end where they basically say she went back home and they got back together. And it was just like this. So it was like this weird cult kind of like people are like, you know, he's telling her to do something and everybody's like, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And she calls the guy up and, like it's intense. Well, it's this culture of looking to someone else for all the answers. Mm. It's you are you must have more answers and more experience than I do within myself. So I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Impressionable, yeah. People are so totally. impressionable. Oh, yeah, they're just vulnerable. Ans- it's vulnerable when you're stressed or life is not going the way you want it to go. 
yeah, I, I, I always wonder what it would be like to be in one of those seminars if like, what if you had like a thousand Brene Browns in the audience? Or a thousand therapists or a thousand, or a thousand psych majors. Yeah, like, a thousand Wayne Dyers and like, yeah. and how effective would Tony Robbins be with them? I, I think it's all minimally, the, if at all. So it's all about the audience, right? He just, he's attracting a certain audience. Yeah. He's helping a few, maybe, I definitely wouldn't say majority. He's helping some. Some's a good term. Yeah. But we've also talked about a lot of his messages are very in line with the whole busy badge that is so prevalent in our culture. Yeah. Sleep less, work harder. Do more. More hours. Buy more. Not working hard enough. Right. You don't want it badly enough. And it, it just perpetuates this feeling of, it's just something you cannot live up to. Right. That's the whole thing. You're putting this thing. It's an impossible standard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the most disheartening thing about it. All the stuff I felt as a kid listening to him, it's all the things that he's, it's perpetuating. It's basically, he's saying that this is where you could reach. You could make millions. I'm going to show you how to do it. You got to be motivated. And he's trying to make it, like you say, sound so simple Mm -hmm. that, you know, you do these handful of things, you do what I do, just mimic what I'm doing and it's going to be the same way for you. Like, how do you know that? You don't know that. You don't know that. It's like, you can't make it clinical because we all have our own perspective and talents and life experience and insecurities and childhood experiences. You can't create a one size fits all product. And it feels in some ways that that's what he's been doing. And it's ignoring the personal component. It's taking the person out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rich, helicopter, island in Fiji, 14 yeah. houses. I don't even want that. I mean, I don't, no. that doesn't even sound appealing to me. Like, you could have all that. You know, let me have a, I'd rather have a, a simpler life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but when I was a kid, he was the man. Like, he was the guy. He was like, ah, oh, you know, like. The idol, yeah. Yeah, like, let me try to hit that status, you know. And then you get older and you just realize, Priority shifts. Yeah, I just don't want that anymore, you know? But now he's like, you know, he's in his 50s and he's still preaching the same sort of thing. And it's like, who's the audience for this? I was always, and we talk talk about the Eastern philosophy thing, I've always attracted more to a guy like Wayne Dyer that has more of an idea of, forget all of this striving thing. The striving thing is not making you happy or content or joyful. And that's not where the key to fulfillment is, Culture wants us, our Western culture wants us to believe that, but that's not the reality. Like, if you're not happy with yourself, you're never going to be content in any of your relationships. It's like wherever you go, there you are. What's the common denominator? It's you. Yeah. It's not the clothes you wear. It's not the car you drive. It's you. Yeah. It's not your bank account. It's not your helicopter. So then why, why doesn't that sell? I wonder why the Eastern kind of philosophy of, you know, you are, you know, you're bringing yourself wherever you're going and with money or with no money or with nice clothes or bad, it's just you. Right. Yeah. But for some reason that doesn't sell because that's not shiny and it's not glitzy and it's not power talky and like, you know, big, overwhelming, like you said, delusions of grandeur. And yeah, it's, it's not competitive and cutthroat. Um, but I, there has been, and there is still unfolding a shift to more of the contemplative. I've even written about this personally, just a shift from highly competitive 
to more collaborative. Mm-hmm. And there's more and more of us. I, I mean, I talk to people all, all the time um, and I'm having conversations because the people I'm attracting are definitely highly collaborative. Like we all understand that there's enough for everybody. There's not a finite amount of resources we can each. And even in, like with other writers, I've met so many other writers just this year alone. And the ones that are I'm attracting are supportive and encouraging of one another because we all get the fact that we there's no one that writes exactly like we do. And so that's this embracing and encouraging atmosphere and conversation. And I, there, there is a shift happening. It's mm. just not happening as quickly as some of us might like, I think. I think that's true. I think that's, it's definitely moved in that. Yeah. The needles move definitely. Yeah. Well, it's, even like Brene is a good example. Like we're on a, she and I are on a first name basis. I've just read all of her books. <laughs> um, you know, her, she has exploded in popularity in recent years. And it stemmed from her initial TED talk where she basically said, screw this. I'm going to go out and talk about failure and vulnerability and I'm going to be real because it wasn't the talk. Her initial TED talk was not the one she was planning to give. Mm. Yeah. And she basically threw out the script and showed up as a genuine person, flaws and insecurities and all. And there's a reason that's gotten so many views. I think when she came off stage, she said that she thought she failed. She thought it was terrible. Oh, yeah. And yeah. She got what, 40 something million views. Millions yeah. of yeah. views. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole new crop of the Tony Robbins type personalities out there. But I, I think you're right. I, I don't think they have the same sort of status he had back in the day or the same sort of influence. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have guys like uh, Grant Cardone and who's the mm. other guys? There's a bunch of them. All the YouTuber kind of guys, big personalities, 10 times everything. Everything's about right. scaling and making things bigger. As time goes on, you, you just start to realize that just none of that stuff me. Like I haven't seen anybody where that path has made them happy. Right. So if I'm looking at a whole cross section of people, and I'm starting to realize that everybody that's on this constant striving path, I haven't met anyone that's really happy that's constantly on this like go 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 go, go you know nonstop more more right. more more more. Then why would I ever want to do that? Right. You know. So then, and why not like try to teach like the younger people that, listen, I've already been on this path. I've watched the whole thing. Uh-huh. I've tried it myself. I've read I the book. I know how it ends. I know how it ends. Right. You don't need to spend all your time reading this book. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like summing up my whole, my whole contention with Tony Robbins. There were positives. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Probably got some, you know, good other authors that he spoke with out of it, that I went down those rabbit holes where I've got, gotten a lot of good knowledge from that. But yeah, as a whole, like that whole message of bigger, better, faster, more, you know, this adrenaline-fueled kind of motivation does nothing for me anymore. It just doesn't. Yeah. It, and actually, like the more I listen to it, it just kind of, it makes me a little bit angry because I realize that there's a lot of young, desperate kids out there that listen to this stuff that are very susceptible to yeah, buying into that. They're going to cling on to it. I mean, even just the advertisements for like his seminars, it, because it looks like a rock concert. Mm-hmm. It's like you're going into like, go, going to see like Van Halen or like Bon Jovi. Yeah. Like you're walking in, there's like pyrotechnics. It's him jumping up in the air and he's pumping his arm and he's got this headset on. He's screaming at the audience and they're all jumping. And it's like, is this not a cult? Right. Yeah. Oh, I, 
I didn't know this. I was going into a cult. And all of that spectacle costs a lot of money. And I wonder how many people sitting in the audience think to question, how do you pay for all this? Like, where do you think the funding came from? Mm. Profit margin from what you paid them. That's a good question. I never went, never checked out any of his companies or their financial mm-hmm. status. I mean, who knows where that, that would lead me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of sums up my Tony Robbins experience and take it for what you, you know, go research him. I mean, he's got good material. He's got educational stuff out there. Mm-hmm. It's just the motivational side. That side is what rubbed me the wrong way and continues to. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of all I wanted to talk about. Thanks, Tony Robbins. I appreciate it. We've had a long lasting relationship, like I said, that you're definitely not aware of. Yeah. Um, but anything else, Diane, do you want to add? No, I mean, I think, and it's one of those things that like your experience with that, that perspective and that material, it served its purpose at that point in your life. And there's benefits of that. And it's not about tearing anybody else down. It's just like, hey, the, you know, I bought into this. I tried it this way. And then I got to a point where it just didn't work for me anymore. Yeah. And he's been around for so long that he's, I guess, the the guy that was around in my 20s. And now I'm in my mid-40s. Yeah, and it's like, I can see. Time. Yeah. So I see 25 years of just, whoa, okay. Different perspectives. He's sort of saying the same things. Right. And like, I looked at it from one point of view and that whole point of view shifted. And I think it was just good to put out. I don't think anybody ever really talks bad about Tony Robbins. Um, They definitely don't talk about this side of it. It's all about, you know, that guy's amazing. He's so motivated. He's so, so successful. And look how many people he's helped. All right, let's shift that. How about questioning it? Mm -hmm. What's What's under the surface and behind the scenes, behind the curtain? Exactly. Well, thanks, Diane. It's been great. Thanks, Al. Another Tony Robbins session, my partner in crime here. Yeah. So the 4% rule and personal capital will be next week's podcasts. Come follow us at fafaconfessions.com. Subscribe, and we'll send you an email when all of our new podcasts come out and new blog posts. But thanks for listening, and thank you again, Diane. Thank you, Al. We'll see you next time. Bye.